I'm going to take you back to the book of James this morning, where we've been for the last several months, but just want to share with you a thought that I had as I was preparing for our message this morning, and I was, it occurred to me that Sunday after Sunday, as you're out driving around, you probably noticed that, but there are thousands of people who are crowding into the churches around southeastern Wisconsin. Have you noticed that as you're out driving around? I mean, churches are just filled. Their parking lots are filled with cars. And there are people absolutely everywhere. And as you're on your way home this morning, I want you to stop and just pause for a few moments to think about that and just think about all of the people that all of those cars represent as you're driving past churches on your way home. You see what's happening is week after week and month after month and for many year after year, you're going to see these church parking lots that are completely filled with cars. People are going to church every week and they're going off. And in fact, many of you who are here this morning have been faithfully attending church here for several years. And prior to that, you were faithfully attending in other places, but you've been very faithful in your attendance. Yet, for some reason, if you're anything like me, You're probably often surprised when you're out in the marketplace and you run into somebody that you know as a believer, right? Have you ever done that and felt surprised by that? As I'm out in the marketplace with all of these thousands of people who are attending church every week, for some reason I'm still pleasantly surprised when I'm out in the store or when I'm out in my workplace and I run into somebody who's obviously a believer. I mean, it shouldn't surprise me when I do that because there are so many people attending church, but for some reason it surprises me very, very much when I meet somebody who's displaying the virtues of love, joy, peace, patience, guys, you know them, right? And, and that's what makes evident that they're believers. Yet I'm surprised when I run into these people in the marketplace. And I think, hmm, this person seems to embody all of the things, all of the fruits of the Spirit, and I'm really surprised that I actually ran into a believer in the marketplace today. And so it makes me wonder, if I run into as many as five people in the marketplace through a typical week who demonstrate the life of Christ each week, where are the rest of them? Have you ever stopped to consider that? I mean, if it's so odd that I run into somebody that is clearly a believer, where is everyone else who floods the church every Sunday? In fact, even many of the people that we do recognize as believers are people who are walking around throughout the week with these big storm clouds over their heads. You know who I'm talking about? They've got problems everywhere they go. The world is treating them wrong, and they do the very best they can, and they can't even force even a small smile across their lips. And that's to say nothing about behavior. Have you ever thought to yourself of another person that you know goes to church? Boy, I hope this guy doesn't go around telling people that he's a Christian. I hope this guy doesn't go around telling people that he goes to my church. Have you ever thought that? I know that you have. I hope this person doesn't let everyone know that he actually is a believer or that he claims to be a believer. See, sometimes I worry what message the behavior of certain people who claim to be believers speaks about God. Sometimes I worry about the behavior of people who claim to be believers and and what their behavior speaks of the work of Christ in their life. Is it possible for people to sit through countless hours of teaching every Sunday? Is it possible for people to sit in our churches week in and week out, month in and month out for years and remain largely unchanged? Is that possible? Does the way that a person receives and responds to the Word of God speak something of that person's spiritual life? David says in Psalm 119, speaking of the Word of God in verse 2, he says, Blessed are they who keep His statutes and who seek Him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in His ways. 
I'm going to jump down to verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? How is it? By living according to your word. Jump down to verse 11. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Jump down to verse 14. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Jump down to verse 16. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. Verse 24. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Time after time, David declares his heart of longing for the Word of God and his hunger for the Word of God. And this is just in the first few verses of one chapter. And there are many, many others as you make your way through the book of Psalms. And as you know, in the book of James, James gives us 13 tests that we can use to determine that we are true believers. And we've gone over several of these. The first was the test of the proof of our response in various trials. Do you remember that? How do we respond while we're being faced with many trials and tests? Secondly, there's the test of your response to temptation. We've spoken about that for the last several weeks. And today we're going to talk about the proof of our receiving and our response to the Word of God. This is a very important test. Because, friends, the heart that loves and honors God loves and honors His Word. Did you catch that? The heart that loves and honors God will love and will honor His Word. As we make our way to our passage this morning, I just want to make sure that we have the proper context. And so to do that, I just want to remind you of last week, for those of you who were here, what we found in verse 18. It was there that we were told that we had been brought forth. Do you remember that? We had been given birth by the Word of God. That's what verse 18 tells us, that we are brought forth by the Word of God. Friends, the way that we receive the Word of God is one evidence that there has been a transforming work of God in our lives. Do you understand that? You know, shortly after babies are born, it doesn't take very long and they begin to cry because they desire milk. It doesn't take very long and they begin to express their hunger in terms of crying. You don't have to train them to do that. You don't have to push them to do that. They become hungry and they begin to cry because they're hungry. Those behaviors are things that I like to call factory presets. That's just the way your baby comes, right? It's a factory preset. Friends, in the same way, when we are saved... The Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of us and He plants in us the Word of God. And with that transformation comes the factory preset to hunger for more of the Word of God. He doesn't have to push you. The hunger is already there. You're already preset for it. Jesus said in John 8.31, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Do you remember that? If you hold to my teaching, that's how you know that you're my disciples. You see, people who are saved will prove that they are saved by the evidence of continued submission to and obedience to the Word of God. It's the natural desire of somebody who has spiritual life to know and to obey the Word of God. So in our passage for today, James is going to explain to us how that looks. I want to help you understand how that looks. And what you'll find is that often when people come to this passage in James, they will often take this verse a little bit out of its context, and they will remove it from its context. And I want to help you keep it there today, because I want you to understand that our context is immediately preceding in verse 18, is that we have been given birth, we have been brought forward by the Word of God. You'll remember that. Now let's go to verse 19 and continue from there. He says, my dear brothers, take Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. 
For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Here again, the word of God is powerful to save you. The same thing that we saw in verse 18, the word of God will save you and bring you forth. So James tells us here that the correct attitude to have is one of humbly accepting the word of God. Do you see that here? If you're a believer, you should humbly accept the word of God, which is already planted inside of you. The transformation, this is the transformation that he's talking about that is given to you at the new birth. This is the thing that has brought you forth and given birth to you. The word has been planted in your hearts. It's already there. So now it should be the lamp and the light that guide you, and you should be committed to hearing it. Do you understand? You should be committed to it. And so James tells us how to do that in verse 19. Take a look at this. This is what he says. He says, to do that, we should be what? quick to listen, and we should be slow to speak, and we should be slow to become angry. Do you see that there? And so this is where I think people tend to take this verse out of context, because I think a lot of times we understand this verse to mean something other than it does. We misunderstand this passage of Scripture to be telling us how to be good listeners. That's what we do. And you'll hear people often point to this to say, well, you need to be careful to slow to speak. Listen to what other people are saying to you. You need to be a good listener. But I want you to understand that we have to keep this verse in its context, and the context is the Word of God. We don't just take it out of its context. It belongs in the context of the Word of God. So the passage is still talking about the Word of God that hasn't changed yet. So what does that mean? Friends, it means that as believers, you need to be quick to hear and listen to the Word of God. That's what it means. You need to be quick to hear the Word of God. You need to be quick to listen to the Word of God. You should be quick to get to a place where the Word of God is being taught. You should be quick to get to a place where the Word of God is properly preached and handled. You should be quick to have the Scripture explained to you. You should be quick to have the Scripture properly preached to you. Because this is another proof of your genuine faith. Those people who are believers, they want to hear the Word of God. They don't want to stay away from the places where the Word of God is properly taught. They have a passion to listen to godly preaching. They have a passion to listen to godly teaching. They have a passion to hear godly instruction from the Word of God. There's a passion in the hearts of people who are believers for that. And James is saying, I want you to be quick to hear that. I want you to jump at the opportunity. I want you to seize every opportunity to increase your exposure to and your understanding of the Word of God. That's what James is saying here. Do you see that? I want you to be quick to hear the Word of God. Get to a place where it's being preached. Don't wait. Get there and submit yourself to its instruction. Listen. Soak it all in and be quick to listen to it. Be quick to hear it. You should have a passion to listen to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God which is accurate and godly. Jump at the opportunity. Use the Word on all occasions. Fill your mind with the Word on all occasions. When you're happy and when you're blessed, go to passages in the Bible that talk about thanksgiving and praise. When you're troubled and when you're filled with sorrow, go to the place where you can find words of comfort and encouragement. I think it would be good for us to stop and ask ourselves from time to time and be completely honest with ourselves. Do I delight in the Word of God? Do I? What does my quiet time with God say to me? Does it say that I am delighting in the Word of God and that I have a hunger for the Word of God? Are you really hungry for godly instruction? Is that hunger in your heart? Because that's one of the proofs of true belief, of true salvation. On the other hand, James says that we should be slow to speak. 
And once again, I want to make sure that you understand that we're not talking here about being courteous in allowing other people to speak first, though that is a very admirable quality and you should exercise that. That's not the point here. That's not what he's saying. He says that you need to keep in mind that you should be slow to speak. And we have to remember that our context here is still the discussion of the Word of God. Now listen, you have been saved, you have been brought forth by the Word of God in verse 18, and if we spring forward into chapter 3, you're going to see that James will say in verse 1, not many of you should presume to be teachers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now look, that's the same thing that he has in mind here in this verse. You should be quick to take every opportunity to read the Word of God and to hear it properly preached and accurately taught and to discuss it with others who love it and want to obey it. That's exactly what you are to do in your life groups, and that's exactly what we do, isn't it? It's exactly what happens in life groups. That's exactly what our men are doing here on Tuesday nights as they gather to study the book of James. I'm told the ladies are going to also be studying the book of James, and that's exactly what they will be doing, gathering together to talk about the Word of God and sharing their love for the Word of God. But listen, we should be very, very careful and maybe even a little bit hesitant when it comes time to preach and teach the Word of God to others. I'm afraid that there are many people in the pulpits of America today who have forgotten the instruction that Paul gave to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. Do you know what he says there? He says, do yourself to present yourself to God as one who's approved, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, and who does what? Correctly handles the word of truth. I fear that we have many preachers and teachers who stand in the pulpit, who would stand up and preach that very thing, and they don't stop to think about how powerful the weapon they're carrying actually is. I don't think they stop many times to consider how powerful the weapon of the Word of God is. Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is living and it's active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword and it penetrates to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart or of the mind. It's a powerful weapon. The Word of God is not something that we handle flippantly. And my heart breaks, friends, when I see someone get up in the pulpit, take a piece of Scripture, extract it from its proper context, tell a few jokes around it, and then maybe tell an emotionally charged story about a sick or a dying child to make the audience cry, and then all of a sudden give an altar call. To do that is to mishandle the instruction of the Word of God. Preachers and teachers should be competent to dig in deeply. They should be competent to explain the Word of God exactly the way the Holy Spirit intended it when He inspired it. Preachers and teachers should not manipulate the emotion of His hearers. He should not manipulate the senses of His hearers with mood music and and really beautiful lighting. That's not the point of the Word of God. We don't manipulate people with it. You must study it. You must understand it. That's what the preacher is responsible to do. He's responsible to dig in deeply, to understand the Word of God, to study it, and then he must take it to his hearer and he must explain to his hearer what it means in a way that it can be properly understood. That's the point. He has to explain it in a way that makes it actionable. He has to explain it in a way that the lights come on and the hearer says, yeah, I get it now. That's the point. To do anything else as a preacher is to dishonor God and to pervert His message. We don't force the Word of God to mean what we want it to mean. We don't take the Word of God and force it to say what we want it to say just because it fits a particular theme that we want to preach. That's not how it works. I want you to know that preachers who do that are practicing a very, very dangerous habit. 
Preachers who do that are in a very dangerous place. Let me explain to you what I mean. God sent the prophet Ezekiel to the other prophets of Israel, and he wanted to warn them against this very thing. And I want to share this with you. This is so powerful, so important. Look at Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 3. And this is the message from God. He says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Jump down to verse 6. Their visions are false and their divinations are a lie. They say the Lord declares this or the Lord declares that when the Lord has not sent them. Yet they expect their words to be fulfilled. Have you not seen false visions and uttered lying divinations when you say the Lord declares this or the Lord declares that? Though I haven't spoken to you. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because of your false words, because of your lying visions, I'm against you, declares the sovereign Lord. If you are someone who's in a place of preaching and teaching the Word of God, that should make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. What a powerful warning. What a powerful warning for us to make sure that when we speak for God that we have rightly divided His Word. It's a powerful warning for us to make sure that we have understood it and that we have dug in deeply and that we've made proper analysis and proper application. The Word of God is powerful. It is not to be trifled with. It is not to be twisted and perverted to fit your own mind and to fit your own application. The Word of God is something that we don't trifle with. So what James says, just as big a hurry as you should be in to go hear the Word of God, you should be equally that slow to speak it out. That's his message. You are just as quickly to run from instruction of people who have not properly analyzed and handled the Word of God. You see that? As quick as you should be to run to proper teaching, you should be equally quick to run away from bad teaching. When he tells us to be slow to speak, it means be careful. Carefully weigh out what you're about to say. Carefully consider what you're about to say about the Word of God and make sure that you've considered it closely. Because if you're not properly equipped to teach and preach the Word of God, don't do it. Because the result is stricter punishment. It's a stricter measure of punishment. According to James 3.1, we go around teaching wrong things about the Word of God. We go around misrepresenting Him. We're very much like the prophets that Ezekiel was sent to speak to. We create disciples of false doctrine. That's what we do. Have you ever spoken to somebody who listened to bad teaching? And what do they spit forward at you? Bad understanding. When false teachers are allowed to propagate their false gospel, they create false disciples. We must be careful because what happens is we give people the sense that they're saved when really they're nothing more than children of hell who have been sitting in church for years. We have to be prepared as preachers and teachers to give a double accounting for the way we preach and teach the Word of God. Did you know that? It's very important that we're careful about the way we handle the Word of God. I want to share with you one more aspect of being prepared to receive God's Word. And in verse 19, it tells us that it's to be slow to become angry. And this is kind of a tough one. I remember one time when I was relatively new to preaching and teaching that I spoke a message at a particular location. And after the message, I remember that a man approached me and he told me that he did not appreciate what I was saying to him and that I need to be a little bit more careful how I speak. And I remember the encouragement actually from my wife who, who told me, that the comment just speaks that God is bringing conviction to that life. That's what she told me. See, sometimes my natural response to someone who preaches and teaches a message that challenges me is to become bitter and angry. Who do you think you are? Did you hear what that guy just said? He doesn't know me. He knows nothing about me. Who does he think he is to stand up there in the pulpit and judge all the rest of us? 
And I believe that's what happened with that man. See, when somebody strikes a nerve, we want to lash out. And I'm convinced that, according to the measuring stick of James, the man's response to the teaching of the Word of God was proof that he really wasn't a believer. James says that as believers, we should be slow to become angry about the instruction of the Word of God. We should be slow to get angry about what our preachers and teachers say in front of us. We must not become angry when we don't like the things that cut and prune and trim us. Rather, we should embrace them. In fact, he says in verse 21 that we should embrace the Word. I love this word, humbly. I like this word that's translated humbly because it's, it's set up in complete opposition to anger. On one hand, you have the angry man. On the other hand, you have the humble man. It's the word proutes, and we've spoken about it before. It means that you must be mild and gentle at receiving the instruction of the Word of God. Let that sink in with you for a moment. Have you ever known someone who has the gift of hospitality in your life? Have you ever known someone like that? Those people are so wonderful. You go to their house and they sweetly and gently receive you and welcome you. You know how it works, right? You, they meet you at the door and what's the first thing they do? They give you a big hug and they warmly welcome you to their home. Maybe they take your jacket, they hang it up in the closet. They escort you to the kitchen where they give you something nice to drink or something nice to eat. Make you feel welcome, don't they? They make you feel like they're glad to have you there. They're gentle with you. They receive you with open arms. Friends, that's what James is talking about. When a hard message comes to you, one that trims and prunes and hurts, you don't get angry at the preacher. You open your arms and you welcome that message. You welcome that instruction like you would a long-lost friend. You welcome it. You're glad to have it there. When you hear the Word of God properly preached, you receive it gently and warmly, just like you would welcome a friend in your home. So as opposed to being mad at godly instruction, we receive it and we welcome it just like it was an old friend. Do you get it? Isn't that a pleasant picture? Just think about that. And I'm going to share with you something that is really the key, and that's the responding to the Word of God. Men, how many of you can ever say that you've done this? You wake up in the morning, you're in a big hurry, you have to get to the office, you have to get to the job site, whatever it is. You stand in front of the mirror and you shave. And as you're shaving, you have one, you know, maybe you've got an old, somebody's been using, you know, your wife has been using your razor or whatever, and you guys all know what I'm talking about. And then you have this gotcha moment, right? And you got, and your face is bleeding. What do you do? You go over and you grab a piece of toilet paper and you stick it on your face. Meanwhile, you go on, you put on your deodorant. You go to your closet and you get dressed. And then you look at your watch and you realize how late you are and you jump in the car and you take off. You make your way to the office and as you get there, you notice everybody is like stopping and looking at you like, weirdo, take the thing off your face, right? Guys, you know what I'm talking about? You realize that you've got this bloody thing stuck to your face. And what's interesting to me is as I think about it, I mean, you knew there was a problem, right? You looked in the mirror and you put the thing on there because you knew you had a problem. So you slowed down, you looked in the mirror when you were in the bathroom, you looked at yourself and you realized, I've got this thing going on and I have to take care of it. And then for whatever reason, you, paid, you became distracted and you forgot all about it and you never really took care of it. You never addressed it and now it's coming back to embarrass you. I want to take you now to verse 22 and I want you to see this with that in mind. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. 
What James is saying here is basically what I just described to you. This is what happens when you cut your face shaving, guys. I want you to walk through this with me. You've come to church, you've enthusiastically been quick to get here because you just couldn't wait to hear what your preacher had to say. And while you were sitting here, looking at the reflection of your character in a metaphorical mirror, you were challenged by something the preacher said. Something cut you a little bit, and it pruned you a little bit. You were challenged by something you heard, maybe by something you saw. You received it gently. You weren't angry. You put your arms around it. You welcomed the correction. And you warmly embraced the instruction just like it was an old friend. And you thought to yourself, wow, this is an area of weakness in my life. This is something that I really need to work on. This is something I need to deal with in my life. Service was over. You said goodbye to everybody. You got in the car and you drove off. You got busy. You went on about your life. And you totally forgot that bloody piece of toilet paper stuck to your face. You looked at your reflection. You saw it there. And then you walked off and you totally forgot what you had seen. That is exactly what James is talking about in this passage. Have you ever wondered what this passage meant? That's what it means. And if this is what you do when you hear the Word of God, James tells us in verse 22 that you're deceiving yourselves. You're deceiving yourselves. It's the word paralegizomai. It's a compound word using the word para, which means beside or alongside. And the word legizomai, which you could think of as taking an inventory or considering something. So think about this. It's where we get the word logic, actually, legizomai. It's where we get our word logic. So essentially, I want you to put those two words together now in your mind. Your reasoning, your logic is beside itself. Do you see? You're outside of your logic. You're beside it. James is telling you that it is nonsense It's illogical for you to come to church week after week after week after week to hear the Word of God and then walk out into the marketplace with a bloody piece of paper on your face. That's what he's getting at. Sometimes we'll buy a piece of furniture or whatever. Guys, if you're like me, you know know how that works, right? It comes home and it's it's a beautiful piece of furniture and you look at it and you think, man, that's great, I'd love to have that. And then when you get it, it's like in a box about this big, right? (laughs) Right? and it weighs 500 pounds. And so you drag the thing into the house, and you dump it all out across the living room floor, and you have stuff scattered everywhere. And then what always sticks to the inside of the box, you know what it is? The instructions. They never come out. If you're like me, what happens is you jump in, you say, well, this piece looks like it probably, you know, it goes up here, and this one probably, I can see how that might fit together. You get about halfway through it, and you oh. babe, have you seen the instructions to this thing? Check the box, honey. And you look in the box, and there are the instructions. So you've gotten started. You've gotten going. You've worked on it for a while, and then you decide you're going to check the instructions to see how well you're actually doing. James says, that's paralegizomai. It's illogical, guys. You're outside of logic. It doesn't make sense for you to do that. It's paralegizomai, and the same thing applies here. Why hurry to church? Why hurry to submit yourself to godly instruction? Why welcome the Word of God warmly and sweetly? Why notice the problem as you're sitting in the seats in the church and reflect on yourselves and walk out the door and not apply it to your life? Why would you do that? It's paralegizomai. It's illogical. It's outside of reason. It doesn't make any sense. But, according to verse 25, the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, 
That's the guy who's going to be blessed in all that he does. Now, I think after everything that we've just heard, that verse makes sense, doesn't it? Listen, when we welcome godly instruction like as an old friend, when we rush to, to receive it, when we use it to shape our lives, when we use it to shape our character, when we remember what we have heard and when we do it, there is blessing to be found in that. There's blessing to be found in responding to a godly message. There's a fullness of life. There is a joy that can be experienced by hearing and submitting to the Word of God. When you submit to the Word of God, friends, your will is brought into conformity with the will of God. Your will is brought into union with the will of God, and you begin to see things as they really are. Your vision changes. When you align your will with the will of God, you will be thrilled to do what the Bible commands because it is the will of God for you to obey Him. So in conclusion, I'd like to share with you another thought that I had. Many of you know that several years ago I was um, studying uh, Greek at UWM, and I can remember as I was there, in my class we had a couple people who were auditing the class, right? And so as I'm sitting there, I mean, sometimes I felt like, this is really unfair. Here I am sitting here in this class, doing all the work, and the, you know, I'm paying for this professor's instruction, and I'm doing all the hard work, and these people are just sitting here auditing. See, the people who audited Greek, they didn't have to do any of the homework, They didn't have to take any of the quizzes. They didn't have to take any of the tests. Yet day in and day out, they listened to the same instruction that the professor gave to me. They received the exact same instruction that I received. They just didn't do any of the work. Most of those people that we spoke about this morning, as you drive away from this place and you drive past churches with thousands of cars in the parking lots across the city, are just like those people who are auditing my Greek class. You hear me? They're sitting there in the church auditing the Word of God. They're not doing any of the work. They're not doing any of the studying. They're trying to avoid all the tests. They're auditing the Word of God. They want to hear the instruction, but they don't want to do any work. They don't want to apply it. And that's why you don't recognize them when you run into them in the marketplace. That's why they walk around with a little fish on their bumper, and yet when you get into the marketplace, they're using language that you don't even recognize. That's why they walk around with big storm clouds over their heads and no smile on their face, because they're auditing the Word of God. And that's why you worry about what their behavior says to the rest of the world. That's why you hope in your mind that they don't tell anybody that they go to church with you, because you're worried about what their behavior speaks about God and the work of Christ. Now listen. Is it possible for people to sit through countless hours of preaching and teaching right here in our church and to remain largely unchanged? Yes, it is. Do you know why? It's because they're auditing the Word of God. Ultimately, I found that in my study of Greek that the reward came when I received my grades from doing the work. I hated the homework but I liked the sense of accomplishment that I felt when I got it done. I liked getting an A on quizzes and tests. And that's the real reward that all the people who were auditing were missing. The real reward, the real blessing, is the grade that comes at the end of the course, friends. May I challenge you with something? Don't be an auditor of the Word of God. Some classes and some professors have the option to say, I don't allow auditors in my class. 
Is that the kind of church you want to attend? Do you want to go to a church where people just audit? Do you want to go to a church where people walk out with toilet paper all over their face? Or do you want to be in a place where people are learning and they are steadfastly diving into the Word of God? Don't be an auditor. Don't come to Root River Church, listen to the instruction, and walk away without taking that little piece of toilet paper off your face. If that's what you do, you are paralegizomai. You're just auditing. You're just auditing. And you're not going to receive the reward at the end of the day. Do you understand me, friends? Those are the people who will stand there at the end of life before the judgment throne of God and He'll say, away from me, I never knew you. And you'll say, wait a minute, are you kidding me? I audited Root River Church every single week. He's going to say, I never knew you. Rush to godly instruction. Warmly. Gently receive it. Do what it says. Apply it. That's the message that James has for us this morning.